0: Good morning. It's good to see everybody this morning. Grab your refreshments, come up and join us. Let's stand and sing together. Sure. Let's stand and sing together. Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. This morning, especially our visitors, this is our contemporary service. We have another service at 11 o'clock that's more traditional. traditional. However, this morning, this service is good. We normally have guitars and bass and drums and such um, behind me, but they're all taking the week off. And um, either out of town or um, um, either out of town or um, they're sitting in the congregation this morning, and, s- and we're going to sing some hymns. And we're very grateful for having her here. Let's sing together. Great is Thy faithfulness. Really? It's such a blessing to be on this end and hear all of that this morning. You guys sound great. That's a wonderful song. Let's sing together Grace Greater Than Our Sin.
1: I think we had a second trip to the donut shop. So if you didn't get a donut the first time through, you can go back and see what Randall was able to snatch up from around. Uh, uh, You didn't go by the trash cans again, did you, Randall? Okay, but anyway, turn and see who that is uh, near you, and children, make your way to the front for a few moments of sharing.
0: That'll work out great. Okay, who's ever had the wiggles? Anybody ever had the wiggles where you just, you just feel like you just can't sit still and you just need to move a little bit? Sometimes I have the wiggles and I can't sit still. And you know what I do sometimes? I shake my leg. I bet if you look out there, some grown ups start shaking their legs sometimes when they have the wiggles. And sometimes when kids have the wiggles, they just have to wiggle in their seat. Caroline watches this silly show that I don't, I don't like too much, but sometimes it teaches good lessons. And they sing a song and then they say, hold still. Wiggle, 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 wiggle. Hold still. You want to wiggle with me? When I sing wiggle, 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 you do some wiggling. Ready? we got to hold still sometimes. Let's hold still first. Hold still. Get ready? Ready to wiggle? Wiggle, wiggle? wiggle, wiggle, wiggle. Wiggle, wiggle, wiggle. Hold still. And wiggle, wiggle, wiggle. Wiggle, wiggle, wiggle. Sometimes we just have to wiggle, don't we? But you know what? Sometimes our parents ask us to hold still, and they say, sometimes they say, be still. This morning I was trying to brush Eli's hair, and I was saying, be still, Eli, be still. And I was trying to get Caroline's tights on, and I was saying, be still, be still. Sometimes our parents ask us to be still so they can help us. And sometimes, even grown-ups have to be still, and we have to be quiet and still and listen. You know what happens sometimes? Jesus says in the Bible, be still, be still and know that I am God. Sometimes we have to be really still and quiet to listen to directions from Jesus, too. So it's an important lesson for kids to be still and listen to parents and listen to Jesus, but it's important for parents and grown-ups and grandparents to be still, too, and listen to Jesus. So sometimes it's important for everybody just to be still and listen and know that He is God. All right, let's pray together. Dear Lord, thank you so much for all this excitement and energy that you give us in our bodies sometimes. Lord, we love to wiggle and run around, but we know that it's important sometimes to just be still and listen to your voice and know that you are God. In your name I pray. Amen.
1: I thought I had the wiggles one time and it was just fleas. <clears> hum <throat> I'm a dog that's right that's exactly right it's good to see everybody here if you're a first time visitor we have a uh, uh, mug for you we would like to mug you and they're on the back table there Please sure to pick one up before you leave uh, and return to to worship with us again on future occasions think about us when you uh, look at the mug um Also um, wanna tell you that you're welcome to stay around if you're visiting for our 10 o'clock hour. That's when we have Sunday school uh, for all ages. I say that because some folks who move down here from the north are astonished that we have adult classes because there are sections in the north apparently where that's not the case. Um, But yes, children, youth, adult classes. um, Majority of the classes are in this building. All the children's classes are here. A few classes scattered around in other buildings, and we'll help you find your way to some of those uh, if you can stay. And as Kelly said, the 11 o'clock service um, is in our sanctuary. Um, We miss our two guitarists today. Andy is leading a retreat uh, junior highs. I know he's had a lot of fun this weekend, and, uh, and he'll be coming back in this afternoon and uh, chaperoning the girls has been Corey, who who uh, assists us so very much in so many things around here. So we uh, look forward to there being with us in future weeks. Uh, if you would like to share a prayer concern with us today, we invite you to do so. Um, we have index cards. If you lift your hand, we'll get you an index card and ask you to write something down that you don't mind me repeating. So if you have a need that, or that a request that you don't want to say much about, just write something down like an unspoken prayer request and uh, uh, we'll do that that way. Um, so invite you to do that and we'll collect those in a few moments. Um, we're getting close to the time of year when we celebrate um, commitments for new year in every area of our lives. We think about that toward the end of the year and we think about that for the church and so I going to call on uh, Ralph Johnson at this time to come. He's chairperson of our finance and stewardship work area And uh, I think he has an introduction to make after he has his say.
2: Good morning. As you have probably read in the newsletter, hopefully if you uh, get a newsletter, you read it. And hopefully uh, I got my letter this week. You should have gotten a personal letter at home this week, just letting you know what we're gonna be doing over the next two or three weeks as far as the stewardship campaign is concerned. In keeping them with uh, past traditions, the Finance Committee has asked laypeople, some of you, uh, which are the, certainly the backbone of the church, to come up and share uh, a stewardship moment with us. And in a few minutes, uh, Lynn Pennington will come up and, and do just that. Before she begins, uh, I'd like to uh, remind you of the tear-off that you've got in your, that were handed out by the ushers. And let me say that it's just as important, if you haven't already um, done it, I know in the contemporary service we have tear offs on the bulletin. So some folks have, have already uh, made reservations for, for the uh, Thanksgiving dinner, which is, happens to also be the end of our commitment uh, drive. That Sunday will be Commitment Sunday. Uh, and we really would like to get a lot of folks here. So it's just as important if you're not, if you're here this morning, but you're not gonna be able to come on the 23rd, that you say so on there and just put your name and say not attending or we're not attending. Because if you don't, somebody's gonna call you and ask you if you're attending. So it's it's so much easier for us if you can tell us Not only how many folks are attending, but if you're not able to attend, that would be very helpful as well. Um, And before I go any further, before I ask Lynn to come up here, I'll say I asked several people to to come up as uh, lay people and speak on this uh, stewardship uh, drive. And every single person that I asked volunteered to do it. And I just think that's a wonderful testament to the, to the volunteerism. And I was talking to Lynn this morning a little bit, and she said, you know, that's really a hard subject to talk on, and it is because it's so broad. If we could define it a little bit more, then, then maybe it would be a little simpler. But I know Lynn will do a good job, and so will those that are, that are going to speak at our contemporary service uh, and this service in coming weeks. Lynn?
3: Good morning. Ralph called me the other week and um, the first thing he said is I've got something to ask you. I need you to do something and of course I'm like oh boy here it goes. I've had a lot of phone calls lately. I don't know who to thank for that but um, uh, they've all been good. It, it challenges me some more to, to do some things that I, I need to do but have tried to tell myself I don't need to do. But my first thoughts were when Ralph asked me was, I don't think I can speak for three to five minutes on stewardship. And the more I thought about it, I thought, and and Ralph made the comment to me, sure you can. I've heard you speak before. I, I know that you can come up with something. And the more that I thought about it, I realized that I could in my own reflections of my own life So that's where I want to uh, take my three to five minutes and I promise I'll try not to go over Arthur. Uh, (laughs) When we as United Methodists take our vows to join the United Methodist Church, we pledge to participate faithfully with our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our talents, and our service. And that's a very wonderful statement that we have there. We need to remember at this time, however, that stewardship is not just funding the needs of the church, but it's through the church that we are servants of Christ. The United Methodist mission statement states that we are to make disciples of Jesus Christ. How do we do that? Well, for those of you that heard my sermon when I got to preach back in August, it was about using our gifts and talents to serve God. So here's your chance to do so. Not only can we give financially to the church's ministries, but we can also use our gifts and talents in fulfilling the mission of the United Methodist Church. As we near Commitment Sunday on November 23rd, please consider carefully the ministries of this church that you are specifically associated with. Also take a close look at the programs of our church that we offer and prayerfully consider how they are fulfilling the mission of the United Methodists to make disciples of Jesus Christ. I believe if you look closely at all of our programs, they all do just that. Do we want to continue making disciples for Christ? If so, we need your help beginning now. In closing, I'd like to share a previous experience of stewardship with you. My previous husband and I had always tithed to our church. We did not always have a lot to give, but we always gave. At one point, some of you heard in a previous sermon that we were in a bad accident, had a one-year-old child, and my husband was out of work for over six months. With one income, a newborn child, a house payment, and other bills, we were unable to financially give to the church during that time. This really concerned us, and we spoke to our pastor at the time and others about it. One thing will always stick in my mind that several people said to us, and it is this, there are many other ways you can show your support to the ministries of the church other than just financially. Again, I want you to remember my sermon back in August, and I'm sure other ways of serving the church will come to mind. The church and its ministries have always been there for me to give me the strength that I needed in times of sorrow and goodness. Thank goodness for that. Listen to these last statements. Will we as United Methodists be there for others with our ministries or will we hear the same thing that we're hearing during these tough economic times? We have to cut back. We don't have the money for this program or that program. Only you can make that decision. Give to God before everything else and give according to what is put in your heart. Luke chapter 6, verse 38 states Give and it will be given to you, a good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. What will you decide to do? It's up to you now.
1: Thank you, Lynn, very much. Ushers, if I can get you to help me with the uh, collection of the index cards. Lee, do we have anything else to announce? Caught you right off guard, didn't I? I just didn't want to leave you out if you knew anything. me do one other thing before we have our prayer and that is if you um, are a veteran of any of the armed services would you stand? They may all be at there. We do have a few at this service. <clears throat> we want to say a word of thanks to you. <clears throat> thanks to you for doing, for doing your part to keep us free and we do appreciate that uh, very very much. Uh, the 11th, it's Tuesday, is uh, Veterans Day. Uh, also, it is the day when, you know, we celebrate the peace that came to the world after World War I and uh, the truce that was uh, kind of uh, orchestrated at that time. And in honor of that peace and truce, uh, I went to see my mother-in-law yesterday. Thank you very much. Okay, let us have a, a word of prayer together. Lord, we thank you for these special prayer requests this day. We pray for healing for Kay Gray and healing for Roseanne Gallagher, uh, for Mark Redline's mother. Um, Good test results we pray for also and a speedy release from the hospital for her. We pray for a house to sell as soon as possible. We thank you for a healthy new granddaughter for healing for Mike Berg, who's battling constant pain, for Joyce Childers, Childers, who has cancer, for a church, uh, or rather for a family member who is in search of a job. We pray for those others who've lost jobs, even those we don't know, and who are working but still struggling in these shaky economic times. We pray for healing, for uh, Dick Bally, undergoing treatment for leukemia. We pray your comfort for families who have lost a loved one as we near this holiday season, for Steve Suddeth, who is battling cancer, for troops in harm's way, their families and loved ones. We pray that your nearness will be felt by Judy Harris and her family as her father recovers from surgery. We pray for Paul, Judy Harris's father, who had emergency surgery yesterday, and for continued healing. Lord, these are our prayers through Christ who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom the power and the glory forever amen oops let's see if it works okay i didn't put it in right he's going to my technician is at work over here our Scripture lesson is from Acts chapter 18 uh, uh, verses 24 through 26 to begin with. here we go. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of scriptures. He'd been instructed in the way of the Lord and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he only knew the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. And then from the gospel, Mark chapter 9, beginning with verse 33, they came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, If anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last, the servant of all. He took a little child and had him stand among them. Taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me but the one who sent me. Sermon title is called The Ways of Jesus. I heard about three pastors who were talking about how much time it takes them to write their sermons. The Lutheran pastor, well known as an excellent preacher, said he spent a minimum of 20 hours per week on his sermon. The minister at a very large Baptist church said, I'd like to be able to spend that much time on my sermons, but I have many people to visit in the hospitals and nursing homes, so I'm very fortunate if I get to spend 10 hours on my sermon. For a long time, the United Methodist preacher was silent, and when he finally spoke, he said, Well, what do you guys do do during the morning anthem? Well, I haven't been guilty of writing a sermon that late, but... Uh, Usually, writing, researching, and editing sermons do take a great deal of of a pastor's week, a minimum of 15 to 20 hours usually. It's important work, and I don't feel like it deserves what's left over, but our top priority. But this particular sermon that I'm sharing with you today has been a little bit longer in hatching. Um, I started working on it 40 years ago and it's not finished yet, not even during the anthem if we had time for that to come ahead of the sermon. It's one of those things that is constantly under revision. It dates back to a confirmation of my call to ministry in the fall of 1968. Just when I think I've got it all figured out, something happens to fine-tune it a little bit, and I have to go back to the drawing board. 1968 had been a rather turbulent year. There were two assassinations, a hotly debated war going on in Vietnam, and an an incumbent president who decided not to run for re-election. And he told us on April Fool's Day and we all said, is that for real? Uh, It had also been a year during which I had been sorting out my faith as a high school senior trying to decide what beliefs I would carry into my adult life and which I would uh, cast by the wayside. By November, I had become a freshman at Wofford College and had experienced a good deal of renewal to my personal faith. And I was beginning to feel a sense that God was calling me to something, perhaps youth ministry, something working in the church. I received confirmation of that from my pastors and my friends who also saw something in me that made them think of ministry. But nothing was quite as defining and troubling to me as the confirmation that I received from a Presbyterian missionary just a a couple of uh, meetings that I had had with him. I hadn't known him very long at all. His name was Adger McKay. I've spoken of him before. Shortly after we met, he told me that he sensed that God had a call upon my life. He said God was calling me to teach others the ways of Jesus. Now that doesn't sound all that profound, I realize, nor is it unique for me. All pastors are called to teach the ways of Jesus, aren't they? But there was something about the way he said that to me that was like a, a haunting that he put upon me. What did those words mean, the ways of Jesus? Periodically, especially in November of every year, I find myself struggling again with those words and asking myself, Arthur, are you doing what God called you to do? Are you teaching the ways of Jesus? For a while in my early uh, uh, young adult days, I thought that the ways of Jesus meant that I had to help others encounter God the same way I had encountered God. I was like the man who fell into a deep well and he couldn't get out and so there at the bottom of the well he began praying and he had a wonderful experience of God's love and presence and he gave his heart to the Lord and he was a changed person and he was so happy and when he was finally rescued, the first thing he did was push his rescuers down to the bottom of the well so that they might have a similar experience. Yeah, I pushed a lot of people into wells there for a while. Next, I thought that the ways of Jesus might mean that I needed to become a well-known high-profile speaker, you know, a TV evangelist. You might remember how many TV preachers, why is Penny laughing at me? You might remember how many TV preachers we had before PTL went AWOL. Um, Fortunately, I quickly realized that I had neither the talent nor the nerves for a high-profile ministry. And I discovered, too, that ministry based upon a personality is doomed to failure. I also learned that what Jesus really considered important was obscure servanthood, that that's what he valued over fame. Then I wondered if the ways of Jesus meant that I was supposed to reinvent the wheel To start over and reorganize the church um, after the first century pattern. In those days, I much preferred small prayer groups to real churches. But then I began to discover that the ways of Jesus are much bigger than churches and organization. Maybe in a few more years, I'll have a clearer vision of exactly what the ways of Jesus are. And why I was commissioned in a special way to, to, to me anyway to preach that. Um, but I'm convinced that that there are some ways of Jesus that I've learned that I want to share with you today. I'm convinced that the ways of Jesus are about how we relate ourselves to God and to one another. How we relate ourselves to God and the way we relate to one another. Not all that profound, is it? Jesus taught that there was only one way to be approved by God and relate ourselves to him, and that was through simple trust in God's goodness and grace, not through trusting in my own goodness and my own works. In the Gospel of John, Jesus was asked, What work does God require of us before he will accept us? Whoops. And, uh, and Jesus responded, the work that God requires is this, to believe to believe in the one he has, has sent now most religions in the world teach that we must earn our way to God and into a relationship with him through faithful obedience to prescribed duties the religions that teach salvation by reincarnation believe that you recycle your way to God through a countless recycling of your life your soul here on earth you might finally get it right and earn your way to god it's a salvation by works plan but jesus said that the work god requires of us is simply to trust in god's generosity and mercy even jesus didn't want to come to god trusting in his own goodness and he set an example for us when he was baptized John protested and said, We got this wrong. You don't need my baptism. You ought to be baptizing me. And Jesus said, But let us do it for now to fulfill all righteousness. You see, Jesus knew that right standing with God was God's to give and not his to earn. And it is God's to give to us as we come in simple trust in God's goodness. So one of the ways of Jesus is his way of being in right relationship with God not by good works but by simple trust and I hope you've heard me say that from time to time Now if you think there should be a connection between what I believe and how I act then you're correct in that expectation there should be some harmony between what I say harmony between what I say and what I do I don't have to do good works to be saved, but salvation ought to produce good works in me if it's real. When our daughter Hillary was about seven years old, she was having to put up with the antics of her four-year-old little brother. And he was into everything of hers at that wonderful age, four years old. And our seven-year-old daughter said to me one day, Daddy, do you think John will go through a stage of being nice When he learns that there's a God around here, (laughs) if we learn that there's a God around here, it ought to produce some niceness in us, is what she's saying. The ways of Jesus are the ways of relating to one another in love. What are those ways? Jesus was able to accept all people, just as they were, with respect and openness and warmth. He would even sit down and accept people who'd messed up their lives pretty severely. Thieves, adulterers, and the outcast of society. When I find that I cannot accept someone and love them, then I've lost sight of the fact that God has accepted me, even though I don't deserve it. When I categorize someone, judging them by their outward appearance or their nationality or their color, rather than taking time to know them as an individual personality, I am not practicing the ways of Jesus. A few years ago, on one of these Salkahatchee work camps that we go on with our youth, uh, there was a guy I met whose name was Mike. And when I met him, I thought I'd found the missing link. He was the hairiest human being I had ever seen. He had hair everywhere on his body except on the top of his head. I could just hear the words of my dear departed grandmother as she used to say, Law, would you look at that ugly mortal. Well, before the week was over, I'd gotten beyond that. I'd worked with Mike. We'd picked guitar together, and I found out he was one of the most compassionate, beautiful human beings covered with hair that I'd ever met in my life. (laughs) And I almost missed out on the blessing of knowing him because I didn't practice the ways of Jesus. It's important that we learn to accept people because people become like whoever accepts them. And if we fail to accept them, they'll find somebody that does, and that's how we end up with problems in our society. If we accept them, they may become like Jesus. The ways of Jesus are the ways of mercy and grace. Jesus' main trouble with the religious people of his day was that their religion was devoid of mercy and grace. Observing the law was more important than showing mercy to those who had failed to keep the law. Christ-like people are those who never miss a chance to show mercy to others. Christ-like people learn to replace their I-told-you-so attitude with an I-love-you-so attitude. The ways of Jesus are the ways of generosity, and I'm not just talking about money. Generosity is an attitude in life toward others. It affects all aspects of life. It is experienced by Jesus when he said, If anyone will come with me, let him pick up a cross and follow me. It is the way of self-sacrifice, and it is so rewarding. It can even be fun to practice self-sacrifice, especially when it is so rewarding. A few years ago when I was visiting Greenville Hospital, and I went to that upper deck, parking deck that's there, I was playing Race the Cars to Available Parking Lot Spaces, you've, you've played that game before. You know That's when about five persons are competing for the same parking space at the same time. I got to one and I was just about to make a left turn into a parking place when I noticed this lady facing me, just glaring at me like I saw it first. Well, I don't know what I'd have done if it had been another man, we might have had road rage, But my mother did tell me that it was kind of nice to be a gentleman every now and then, so I decided it was a nice time to practice being a gentleman. So I rolled the window down, and I did like this, saying, you know, take the space. Well, her glare turned to a look of absolute shock. Her eyes got about that big, and she parked, and I went on and found a parking place. It didn't take too long. I went to those stairs leading down from the parking deck toward the hospital, and she was waiting on me. And um, she looked at me with the look of a fourth grade teacher who, who had something to tell me, and I'd better listen. And she looked at me with that stern look and she said, That was a good thing you did. And I made light of it. I said, Oh, that's nothing. Her fourth grade teacher look intensified and she said, You listened to me. That was a good thing you did. There aren't many good people in this world. And then she turned on her heels and left me astonished standing there on the steps. I was utterly amazed that the result of that little bitty act of generosity had, had produced such a wonderful thing. And I thought, Lord, is it that easy to show faith in you by a tiny little sacrifice for another human being? That had cost me a thing. My dear friend, Reverend Enoch Finkley, who died a few years ago, was a very generous person. When he would come to one of my churches to preach, he brought a trunk full of toys, jewelry, and trinkets with him. He had uh, trunk or treat year-round, believe me. It was not uncommon to see an entire congregation licking on suckers and wearing cheap costume jewelry during the time he was preaching. When he was having open heart surgery in Columbia at the hospital he knew lots of people were going to be there with his wife and and he did the most astonishing thing. He prearranged with a friend of his to come by and count the heads and then to bring by barbecue pork lunch for everybody there waiting on him to get out of surgery. Did you hear that? When he should have been preparing himself for serious surgery, he was instead preparing a meal for his friends that he knew would be there. The ways of Jesus are the ways of generosity. I wonder how our lives and homes would be different today if we sacrificed for one another and if we practiced Jesus' generosity every day. What if we didn't look out for our own interest but willingly sacrifice for someone else's good? What are the ways of Jesus that I've been called to preach and to practice? I'm sure that the ways of Jesus include the way that we relate ourselves to God in simple faith and trust. And I'm sure that I am to relate to others in the same way Jesus did, accepting them. And I am sure that the ways of Jesus are the ways of sacrificial generosity. May we all follow the ways of Jesus. Amen. I've pushed us a little late today, but we will uh, now ask our ushers to help us as we receive the morning offering. And we'll wait and see what Kelly does.
0: Will you stand and sing with us?
4: Shackled by an animal
1: receive the benediction, go forth in peace, and may you practice the ways of Jesus as you go forth in his name, amen.